It has been reported that the White Sox have interest in Oakland catcher Sean Murphy. And as a quick counterpoint, maybe they should, you know, not. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Trying to ruin my perfect offseason. Get out of here with that nonsense, White Sox. I'm going to have to go ahead and put a veto down. Nope, sorry, that's not happening. Why? Some dude named TJ, he, he said it's not happening. Sorry. Welcome to the Selbius Godcast. I am that TJ that I speak of, and that guy over there is Zach Meisel. What's up, dude? It's amazing how whenever there's a team interested in someone, the team directly competing with that team is also interested. I feel like that happens more often (laughs) than not. Uh, So breaking news. Good teams interested in good players. Uh, (laughs) uh, Just came across my desk. Apparently a team with a potential hole at catcher is interested in the best catcher that is probably going to be available this offseason. So big shocker there, but Cleveland might have some competition when it comes to upgrading the catcher position. As it turns out, I'm a little shocked by this, but you know what? We'll adjust. It's mid-November. There's going to be a lot of rumors, a lot of reports, (laughs) a lot of BS reports, and we're still three weeks away from the winter meetings. So buckle in, because there's going to be a lot of this. And I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, They're in such a weird, unique spot that they haven't really been in this spot before. And so that kind of opens the door. You know, usually you're just, we talk about things, but I think we all know that there's no chance of anything really happening. You know, you set yourself up for disappointment. This year... There are some things they could do, and they've got flexibility, and no one really knows what the financial situation is, and so it just makes it, this is a free-for-all, and so every every rumor you're trying to, to tie it into the Guardians and just see if you can, I don't know, crack some code or something to figure out what's going to happen, but it's early. Let's have some fun with that today. I know, I know. And so that's why I want to have some fun. So many times during the offseason, it feels like what you just said. We can bring up names and we can discuss things that might make sense, but it never feels truly realistic. So I guess you, I always feel like we ask ourselves, is it even worth talking about it? Is it even worth bringing up these names that could matter in free agency because are we just wasting time in the offseason? Hey, that's fine. We've got three months to fill, really, where nothing's ultimately happening. If we have to talk about some scenarios that never take place, I'm okay with that to a certain extent. But there is some reality here this offseason. We know there's motivation, where the team is at in the timeline, the number of younger players that they have. There is plenty of motivation to get something done, and it's worthwhile to discuss. I think certainly the catchers are going to be a a hot topic throughout the offseason until they finally do something there or they don't do something and it becomes a a point of uh, contention for many fans and certainly for us on this show. But I also want to do something where we look at really three tiers of moves. 
The first tier being absolutely wild. No way that could happen, but it's something that maybe we should consider, even despite it being crazy. No way that that actually takes place. The second tier being 50-50. Yeah, maybe you could see that happening, but it's not necessarily a likely outcome. And then the final one, let's talk about a move that we could actually see happening and, and feels really realistic. But before we get there, as I said, it is the Selbius Godcast. I'm TJ. That's Zach. Thanks for clicking play. Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're watching or, or consuming this, we do appreciate you. Thank you to everyone that is a Patreon supporter and subscriber over there that keeps getting the weekly episodes even throughout the offseason. We greatly appreciate you. We've got some fun stuff planned there for the, the Patreon listeners, including the Discord, which has been on fire with, if you're not a Patreon sub- subscriber, you don't know the conversation we had, Zach where we could look at some of the the random bits of memorabilia that fans <laughs> would love to see displayed at, at Progressive Field. And if, sure, a guy hits for the cycle, you want that uniform. If somebody does something noteworthy, a walk-off, you got that ball, sure, let's put that, let's display that. But I think fans want to go a little bit deeper and maybe find some stuff that's just a little off the wall. Like one of the, well, I don't think it would have made it by now, but one of the birds that hit the ball that connected with Coco Crisp trying to get to the ball during the walk. They want that. They want that displayed. The bird carcass? <laughs> yeah, it's probably... It, I don't think it's stood the test of time by now. Yeah, the list that we have going is... It's incredible, and every single one makes me laugh, and I think we'll we'll get to that maybe later in the week. But don't forget, yes. if you want to become a verified Selvius Godcast... Supporter and listener, you can just pay us $8 a month. Um, nothing changes, but you get a little check mark next to your name in the Discord. Uh, don't actually do that and think something different is going to happen. Please, I don't want to get sued. Let's not do that. That's it's the off season. I want to be relaxed here. No, no suing of the Godcast, please. But do thank you for subscribing over at Patreon, and we've got some fun stuff playing, including we still have to figure out what game we're reviewing. Mm-hmm. That has to happen. Any leads? Any any thoughts? Any what's what's crossed your mind so far? Nah, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it here. I have a short list that I need to go on YouTube and see if the full games exist there. Because that's the key, and and obviously bonus points for commercials. Like that's the best part. Remember the the first <laughs> one we did. I think I spent more time analyzing the commercials than the game. I think it was the the Mariners comeback. 2001 yeah i think that's fair though that's what really people want to discuss not what happened in the third inning but what heating and cooling ad is <laughs> noteworthy in your brain that you haven't thought about in 15 to 20 years oh look as the i was was up commercials oh <laughs> uh, as i was thinking about this it also really started to hit home and i've i've realized this since we started doing this series a couple of years ago, our, our audience, I just assume everyone is the same age as us. Everyone watched the 95 Indians. Everyone watched the 97 Indians and remembers it as fondly and considers it like every pitch. You just remember everything that took place. So much of our audience is, is skewing younger because, you know, that, that happens. And uh, people don't necessarily remember 95 or 97 they might have been two three four years old i talked to my younger brother he always brings it up he says it's great to hear you guys talk about it 
because I don't remember any of this stuff. And I go, what do you mean you don't remember? Oh, yeah, you were four years old. Of course you don't remember this. I think someone uh, requested we do the Len Barker perfect game, which I actually did rewatch because that is on YouTube. No commercials, though. I rewatched that, I think, last year. It was the 40th anniversary, about a year and a half ago. And it's just, it's a different dimension. (laughs) So, um, I think it's cool to get a different, a snapshot of just how much the game has changed and how much, how we talk about the game has changed. If you watch a game from the 80s, you watch a game from the 90s, and you watch a game from five, ten years ago, it's wild. I mean, you watch, like, that game in 81, it's 40 years ago, but it looks like it's 140 years ago. I was expecting... (laughs) like a dinosaur to call off Rick Manning in center field to make the final catch. I was going to make a joke. I'm not going to make that joke. But I am going to make the joke that it was in 1981, and yet both of us were there. We were in the stands just like the (laughs) the rest of the 200,000 people that also claim that they were at that perfect game. Um. Speaking of perfect, nothing would be more perfect than adding a catcher and including Sean Murphy's name, who has become um, really the the number one go-to to anyone that needs a catcher. Sean Murphy, go get that guy, including me. That would be my preferred outcome here. Probably my number one offseason target, I would consider Sean Murphy. There's also some discussion about the Toronto catchers, and they've got a number of them. They've got many options, and that has really taken over social media the past couple of days. What do you think about the Toronto catching situation? Because it seems like a perfect marriage, at least when it comes to what Toronto might want and the fact that they've got multiple catchers and that's something Cleveland could certainly use. Yeah, I mean, so everything at this time of year revolves around leverage. And if you look at Oakland's situation, they had the decision to make at the trade deadline. They could move Sean Murphy to the Guardians or any other team that was interested or they could hold out knowing they'd lose leverage in the sense of everybody in the universe knows you're trading Sean Murphy this winter. You're not holding on to him. You've one major league ready starting catching prospect who's already 25 and you have another one in the system who's supposed to be really good. So there's no point in you hanging on to Murphy and watching his trade value decrease over time. The benefit to them is you get more teams involved, right? Who needs a catcher? The White Sox, apparently. The Cardinals need to replace Yadi Molina. There are other teams too. The Astros. So, Wilson mm-hmm. Contreras is out there, and someone will sign him to a nice deal and won't have to give anything up except money. Murphy's going to cost you prospects. So, Oakland, it's just a weird situation. Like, they can... They can obviously spark a bidding war, but you the reason why this stuff takes time a lot of times is you have to wait for free agency to shake out too. Because you have to, you know, a team that can afford Wilson Contreras and likes Wilson Contreras probably would rather go that route. You know, and everybody has a different amount of prospects that Oakland would find attractive. So it's just, it's tricky. And then you look at Toronto and it's just a completely different situation because they have three major league ready catchers. Kirk was an all-star. Gabriel Moreno was has been a top 100 prospect. 
Um, and Danny Jansen had a really nice year. So one of them is expendable. The difference with Toronto is they're not looking for prospects. Like they need major league help. They're in World Series mode. So it's just so different. And so with them, you know, I don't know if they're waiting for the Wilson Contreras market to settle or other free agent catchers. There's it's not a long list, but you know, what you would give up to get Murphy is totally different than what you would give up to get a Blue Jays catcher. And the Guardians really liked Moreno and they asked for him in the Jose Ramirez conversations that didn't end up going anywhere. The Blue I don't know who the Blue Jays would want to move. My guess would be Jansen would make the most sense from their standpoint. But to them, it also might depend on what they can get back. You know, what do they need? They need they need starting pitching. Um, so it's just it's it's a lot of you know, at the end of this, like the Astros will have found their catcher and the Cardinals will have found their catcher and maybe the Guardians find theirs. And it's just, I'm really fascinated to watch like the step-by-step process. Someone has to make the first move. And when the first move is made, then everybody else feels more pressure to go get that catcher that they need to up their offer in a trade, to up their offer to, to a free agent, whatever it is. It's just like, there's a lot of moving parts. And until one domino falls it's hard to predict where the rest will well you mentioned a team that goes after Contreras won't have to give anything up other than money that's not exactly true because there's also potentially a draft pick involved draft pick too yeah just because of of the qualifying offer extended so just wanted to clarify that before someone jumps in and says you forgot about the draft no we didn't it's there (laughs) it's part of of that if Cleveland really was interested in Contreras, don't you feel like they would have traded for him? Yeah, if, they're not. If they really, if they really wanted him, like they they were like moderately interested, I'm I'm sure, but just it, for it to not come together, and him to remain a Cub through the deadline, I have to feel like the Guardians don't have a ton of of of, uh, of interest there. But there are so many that could potentially be available through trade. Murphy, the Toronto catchers, Vasquez. I mean, there are free agents that they could chase. There is no excuse to me in coming back with just another hodgepodge of what you've had previously and then expecting Bo Naylor to make this huge jump. I don't think that that's fair to him, to Bo Naylor. You you just don't see young catchers brought along like that and all of a sudden they're thrust into the fire of being a starting catcher. You work him in some at DH, you let him work on his hitting too. You got to develop that side in addition to just the just heaping loads of responsibility on a young catcher. It's why I think the Sean Murphy thing makes so much sense. And I'll just keep saying it until somebody listens to me. And I'm sure we the front get office it, loves Sean Murphy. As far as the Toronto catchers go, here's what I don't know. I can look at a guy's pop time. I can look at a guy's framing numbers. I can look at his blocking runs. I can see defensively quantify that and know how good he is behind the plate. The one thing that we still struggle to know because we don't know how much credit to give a catcher within the, the game calling aspect. I think Cleveland really, really values a catcher's whatever you want to say that it is, whether it's game calling leadership and ability to lead a pitching staff, Cleveland really values that. And just in Mm -hmm. my opinion, from watching it on the outside and seeing the way they've handled that position for years, I go back to game five in 2017 
when Roberto Perez replaced Jan Gomes behind the plate? Was was am I thinking of that correctly? And the, they gave kind of like a clouded reasoning as to what, but the in reality they just thought he is better at maneuvering through a game with multiple pitchers. They trusted Perez more than they did with Gomes in a Game 5 situation against New York. They've done that many times. I think they really value how well a guy handles and is able to adjust and and multiple pitchers and and calling the game that aspect of catching. I don't know how to quantify any of the Toronto catchers. I don't know how to quantify Sean Murphy in that regard. They have a better idea on that than we do. We we only go based on hearsay and someone says, that guy's great at calling a game. Okay, maybe he is. Maybe they just say that. I don't know. But that's the difficulty here. I can look at a first baseman, see what their numbers are, and say, that fits. That's great. I don't have to worry about like how they take the throw from the shortstop being in line with the organizational philosophy on that. That's what makes it difficult to evaluate this catcher position. I think there were certain things that Cleveland didn't like about Contreras's makeup and some of the things you're talking about. And I don't think the Guardians were the only team that felt this way. Clearly, because Contreras remained a cup, and he was the most obvious trade chip on the market three months ago. So, yeah, I think that stuff matters. Um, I think teams were scared off by him sort of just joining a new organization midseason and picking up on things seamlessly. Um, so, you're right. It's a lot to ask a Bonaler. And he might be capable of it. Super smart kid. And really, really impressive tools from an athleticism standpoint and a work ethic standpoint. I mean, I mentioned he he made it a priority during the pandemic season to learn Spanish, to be able to communicate with Spanish-speaking pitchers better. And so things like that, that you don't quantify on the field, that still give you reason to believe he'll eventually be a really successful player, but you're trying to win immediately. Why hamstring yourself if you don't have to? Why take that risk that he might not be the second coming in year one? There's no reason to do that. Because we talked about, you know, that this this team is in position to upgrade, but there aren't a ton of obvious places to do that. So why not? supplement what you have a catcher when you have the resources to do so. So I was looking at the Toronto catchers. The Jansen one, I don't think Cleveland could acquire him and make him the primary catcher. Am I off base there? I don't know enough about, I mean, I, it goes back to what you say, you know, we can look at the the numbers. It, we still don't have a fully clear picture of what a catcher is capable of just because there are those things that don't show up on fan graphs at that position. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he'd be lower on my list than a bunch of other guys. I think he's still, an, I mean, he's, I think he's an upgrade over Hedges at least from what I can see, numbers-wise. Right. Offensively, duh. Yeah. Uh, Jansen is good enough offensively where he could DH some for you, and he did for Toronto. 
there were a number of times when they, they just wanted the bat in the lineup. They didn't care where, if he was catching or, or DHing. That, that's more my point. Jansen, I don't think you thrust him in there and he's catching five, four or five days a week. You would be putting him some behind the plate. You'd be DHing him some. Maybe he even you know, is, is playing first base or something. You're finding other ways to keep your bat in the lineup or his bat in the lineup. But I don't think he is bringing him here to now be the, the number one catcher and, and Bo Naylor is the second catcher. Now, that could make sense down the line when Bo Naylor's playing against righties and Jansen's catching against lefties, and then you still manage to keep his bat in the lineup on the other days when you want his bat in the lineup. But I don't think that's a, going to get a him, and, and he's the primary catcher. I don't, I don't think the defense is, is quite there. I just have a hard time believing that the Guardians would give up what they value defensively for a guy that's just kind of been average-ish, if not a little bit below that, behind the plate. Kirk, though, why would Toronto give up Kirk? Unless they're just blown just, away that much by something else that they're getting. But that that's the thing. is I'm guessing here, but my guess would be that internally they hope someone... Gives them something useful for Jansen. But the only way they'd move, that they'll keep that close to the vest and hope that someone offers them a stud starting pitcher for Kirk. I don't know. Doesn't make a lot of I'm sense. Just, but we don't, I, we also skeptical. don't know like what, what Moreno's capable of. He was supposed to be the best of the bunch. Yeah. Given where Toronto is at though, they're they're winning right now, and they're even a couple of years ahead of where the Guardians are as far as accelerating this process of trying to go win a World Series. I know, if I'm Toronto, I know I've seen what Kirk is. I'm not in a rush to go hand the reins over to a younger catcher. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Like, I know I know what Kirk is. It, it's uh, maybe to a lesser extent, but it's what the Guardians are facing now. You could just turn things over to Bo Naylor, but that is so much of an unknown. I know Kirk is really good. So why would I be rushing to trade away a guy that just put up a four-win season behind the plate when I, like, I'm trying to win? Yeah, I know Moreno might be better, but what if he's not? And then we're taking a step back at that position? You have to have a lot of faith in your young catcher. I'm just skeptical is all I'm saying. Where do you stand on Vasquez? Because if you believe Naylor... If you want to ease him in for a year and you don't want to pay the price to get Murphy, you don't think Jansen is the answer. And you, you know, you could get Vasquez, who's the, the second tier free agent catcher mm-hmm. and not have yeah, to give up much. I mean, he's fine. Here's what I, I wonder. Houston needs catching. They, they were eager to add it during the season. They brought in Vasquez. He didn't even catch all the time for them. And he's okay. He's, he's all right. He's like an average offensive hitter this past year. Has had some solid seasons overall. Has been a little bit below in a league average bat in his career. Is he an offensive upgrade over what you've had? Oh, absolutely. No, no kidding. I, I think he has a pretty good rep as far as game handling a game. Defensively, I don't think there's anything too special there. So it, it's it's fine. There are just there's probably like five or six other guys that I would 
go chase to see what's happening there before I would look at what's happening with Vasquez. And in that time, maybe he finds a home and you just don't end up with that guy. But I'm not sprinting to go give him a deal of some sort, if that makes sense. You want Murphy. Okay. You've made your point. Why is it? Is that a bad? You're saying it like it's a bad thing. Is it? Is it wild? Is it crazy? It's just. Should I stop saying that I want him? That I want Murphy here in Cleveland? What are you going to give up? Who's off limits? Well, I'm not giving up all of my young pitching, but one of them. Yeah, let's talk about it. Would you be willing to do a deal that involves Valera and one of the pitchers? Probably not. And this is where, see, this is where like all the other scenarios factor in. Because, first of all, like what do the White Sox have in the farm system that would appeal to Oakland? And it's not just the White Sox, but you have to determine, you know, if Oakland's asking for too much. Like, at at some point, like, I'm just going to shift my attention elsewhere. But then you have to think, can anyone else really outbid me prospects-wise? So it's just... I think the thing that makes this a little bit easier is these teams have been talking for a while. It's not like they're just starting their research. Oakland has been canvassing Cleveland's farm system and others. It's a good word. So I like that canvassing. That's nice. <laughs> so like this shouldn't take till February to figure out. But it's just, you know, if Oakland is staying firm on a high asking price, Cleveland's got to think about some other things and you just have to play this cat and mouse game and then other things happen as this is going on and I don't know. Th- these are the moments where I'm like I don't envy being a GM, but I want to be in the room when it's all happening. So I want to know how this all really plays out. I was do- trying to look up uh, to go back to Vasquez for a minute. The median crown source of fan graphs, they put together like uh, an estimate based on opinions, readers, all of it's lumped together into what they think a contract might look like. For him, the median crown source is two years at $8 million per season, so $16 million. Would you pay that for Vasquez? It's all circumstantial. I mean, it depends on mm. a lot of things. It depends. I, I there probably... it is. Hit the bell. Hit the bell, please. <laughs> I mean, would you prefer two for 16 for him or like one for four for Hedges? Or are you just totally done with Hedges? The thing is, you bring back Hedges, he's going to end up taking most of the playing time. Uh, I thought you were going to say he's going to end up taking his shirt off. Uh, that too. I mean, that's kind of a, you put that in the positive category. I mean, I'm with you. you like, there's no like reason that. not you to show it off. <laughs> there's no reason not to upgrade there. I just. The, the two for 16 to me, like, I can't answer that without knowing do they still have enough money to go get the platoon partner for Naylor and maybe an upgrade in the rotation? Like, I I need to know their financial situation first. It, it's not my money, so go spend whatever it costs to improve the team. 
but I don't know. I can't answer that. Let's do our three things exercise. Just because I don't have any other thing to call it at this point. Let's discuss some scenarios where it's absolutely wild. Shouldn't consider it, but we are. One that's about 50-50 and one that seems about likely. I'll toss it to you. First of all, I need a over the moon, shouldn't consider it. What are you thinking? But they should actually consider it move for this organization. It could be a trade. It could be a free agent signing. Whatever your heart desires. I have spent days racking my brain trying to come up with a great answer for this one. I was hoping we would do this last, go the reverse order. But you know, I kept thinking like, all right, just a ridiculous suggestion. Like they should trade Bieber. But that's not, I mean, I wouldn't be the first person who said that. And while I don't agree that that's the move and I don't think it's going to happen, like you could build an argument for it. Then I'm thinking like, all right, convince Jose Ramirez to waive his no trade clause and send him somewhere. But like, how, how, like I can't justify that ever making sense. So I was trying to think of a ridiculous suggestion, just like they can add someone that doesn't make sense, but like then we just play the payroll game or, so I came up with do nothing. What? Stand pat. That's not at all what I intended this to be. <laughs> hey, run it back with what you have because all these <laughs> kids are still developing, right? So you're anticipating that they'll get better and you have more in the pipeline. And before you go and make a trade that's going to backfire by bailing on Nolan Jones too quickly or moving George Valera or trading one of those aces in the making. Don't make those mistakes before you have to. You you arrived two years early. So stand pat. See what happens this season. I can't believe you. And when you planned to be good in 2024, you'll have all the information you need. You'll know exactly who's good and who's not. All those kids competing against each other. Healthy competition. I mean, that's what makes individuals better. So my ridiculous suggestion, if as you want to call it, is to stand pat. Don't spend any unnecessary money. Come on. You don't oh spend money God. just to spend money. Don't I make a trade just because you feel pressure from TJ to go get Sean Murphy and you're going to overpay for a catcher who's a little bit above average offensively and he's... Usually a gold glove finalist, okay, but still, you've Bo Naylor. You don't need Sean Murphy. Just stand pat, stay the course. You're still your goal is to compete, right? Hope to play meaningful baseball in September, and go from there. Uh, Can I quick tell disclaimer: How I in, to intend I this to go? Yeah, go ahead. Quick disclaimer: I I don't buy into anything I just said. Okay, Please do not show goes. We, we do not we, we cut lie. that forty-five seconds and make it seem like I'm imploring the team to That's, keep its payroll at sixty million. YouTube shorts, here we come. Okay, uh, did not intend for this to go this way. I, when I thought up this, I thought in my head, let's gas everybody up. Let's give everyone a reason to feel excited. Is it realistic? No, and we'll acknowledge that. 
but let's come up with something that's fun. That people can dream. Why can't you dream? It's the off season. You should be Fine. able to dream on things that never happen. Go sign Aaron Judge for $350 million. <laughs> I also kind of thought of it as something that still could happen. Not signing someone to, like, not signing DeGrom to a $50 million annual value <laughs> kind of contract or anything like that. But why something not? That why not? could realistically happen, but no way it does. What about Verlander? Give him like two years. Yes. Just a super high AAV. Your payroll's already low. You don't have like a ton of crazy arbitration commitments this year. So before McKenzie and Jimenez and all your other young players start making big, big money, why not spend your money that way? Go get Verlander. Sure. Let him be the beneficiary of the guy in the bushes that's looking at his pitches that he's sworn has been there for 10 years. <laughs> he should be used to it now, pitching with the Astros, how that goes. It's a, there's a positive there. I kid, I'm sorry. You know, old joke, don't need to bring it up. Why has no one that I have seen so far Mention the Guardians as a potential destination for a guy that's probably not going to get moved, but has been brought up as a trade candidate. What's wrong with talking about Corbin Burns? Who? Two years of Corbin Burns. You had talked up the need to go get a starting pitcher. I thought mm -hmm. for sure you were going to drop that on me. I thought I was going to be upset that you <laughs> stole my candidate that you were going to talk up Corbin Burns being this this wild idea, but they should consider it. No, you said do nothing. And That's then here's wild. me with the, old, the, the lone... <laughs> the lone crazy idea that people actually would want to see happen. So the, what about the Corbin Brewers, Burns? They're a bit of a mystery. I mean, I don't... I never know what they're doing. One year they sign like seven free agent outfielders to $80 million contracts. And the next, they're trading away core pieces. But yeah, like Burns and Woodruff, sure, if they're available, go get them. But the only, the only question I have there is, what is your ultimate starting rotation plan, right? Because Spino, Williams, Bybee, okay, they're in the pipeline. Maybe one of them, two of them debut this year. But like, you're not expecting them to take the ball in a playoff game in 2023, I think it's fair to say. So maybe you're expecting them to be a part of the rotation in 2024, but also, like, who knows what's going to happen? You know, maybe they, one of them totally tanks this year. One of them gets injured. One of them, you don't, you never know. But beaver has got two years left. So what, what's your long-term plan here? That the, the one thing I cannot figure out is the starting rotation timeline. You know, if you're going to keep Bieber this for another year, you're going to trade him after 2023. You're going to let him just play this out. And then what are you doing with Burns? Because he's on the same timeline. Are you extending somebody? Probably not Bieber. It, it, it's not my money, as you said. Yeah, uh, throw the money at, at whichever one will say yes. Now, that's probably not going <laughs> to happen. To me, I just think I get two years of having a rotation that's effing phenomenal just imagine Burns Bieber McKenzie one two three 
That's that's as as lights out as the top three is you're going to find. You're not going to find much better than that. And that's what I'm thinking. Two years of you now being in a position where you get into a playoff series, you can go end somebody very quickly. And mm-hmm. that that's my thought. It's no different than any of the conversations we had about any of the other starting pitchers this really going back to the trade deadline. What's the difference? The, the fact that Burns will probably cost more than any of the other names that we talked about. Castillo and uh, Montas. Burns is going to cost a ton more than that. Why not be on the other end of that, though, for a change? And if you don't think any, you don't think Murphy is worth it, you don't think, I don't know why, but you don't like any of the other hitters, invest in your rotation and put together a monster top three for the next two years and give yourself a real chance to go win a title in the next two years. I don't think that's a ridiculous suggestion, though. I've I've said they need another frontline starting pitcher. That's what I'm saying. I'm with you. And that's why that's I, I think that's what I'm trying to get at here is every move you could make, there's a ripple effect. You know, if you trade prospects for Murphy, I don't think you're trading prospects for Burns. No, no. You're but you could go get things. Burns and then sign Vasquez. So I, yeah, there, there, are, there are a bunch of different ways to go about it. I'm sure they have like clusters of plan A, trade for a pitcher, sign a catcher. Plan B, trade for a catcher, sign a pitcher. Trade for a first base. I, you know, everything is intertwined. I like Burns. Woodruff is good too. I, people like forget about. Sure. He was the ace of that staff till Burns breakout year yeah still had really good metrics last season and really good numbers overall and i think they're yeah. the same yeah, absolutely same schedule both arb two i'd have to look at him real quick but like what's milwaukee what is milwaukee ever doing i don't i don't know what do they want we had somebody they want to prospects ask. they always just want value they don't care you could be an 18-year-old with value or a 28-year-old with value. They want it. Some insight into the Brewers. I just wish we had someone that could tell us what is happening. Uh, Woodruff, uh, yeah, 13-14, next two years. Same same schedule for him right now. Uh, more into Burns, but yeah, want to talk Woodruff too? Yeah, I'm, I'm How about it. both? That would yeah, have been a ridiculous suggestion. I mean, if you have a rotation with Burns and Woodruff in it, you're set to be a team that's looking to trade them, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go to the 50-50 move. And by that, I mean, could see it happening. Don't necessarily know that it's a, an absolute, that it that it is going to happen. I'll go first this time. I've heard him linked now to the Guardians on three separate occasions over the past week. And I thought about it, and I uh, walked it through. I... The reason why I think it's 50-50 is because I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but I could see a scenario where it helps out, and he helps some younger players on this team too because of the reputation that he had previously the past couple of years in Boston, J.D. Martinez. The median crowds, crowd source, they all believe, 
that it's going to be a one-year commitment, which I'm into. I like the one-year commitment. Don't put any permanent stop gaps in place of any of the younger players. $12.5 million, somewhere in that range, to take a shot at J.D. Martinez, who was again above average, Not has not been like the, a, a destroyer of worlds in the middle of the lineup for a, a couple of seasons, but still a, an above average stick. I know he's 35 years old. There's a chance that he's just not going to be a great player anymore. I think he can help you against left-handers. He fits into the DH spot. You don't necessarily have to play him every single day because of his age and keep him fresh. So you can rotate guys through the DH spot if you want to. He might be an okay fit for this organization. And as I said, with the number of younger players that this team has and the reputation that he had built, a number of younger players and just even veteran players had said he had really bought into helping other players improve on the offensive side and helping them become more complete hitters. I think this might be a nice marriage of a guy that still has a little bit left in the tank, little, still a little bit to prove, still has a little bit of pop in there, and maybe can help some of younger younger players develop and get better. So let me first start by saying my 50-50 shot was, it's the catching situation. It's that they upgrade with someone better than Hedges. So we don't need to rehash everything we already said. But I want to touch on this. The thing about Martinez that might be the hang-up is he doesn't play first base. He really shouldn't be playing anywhere. But Because I don't know that they want to clog up the DH spot. But you're right, they don't have to play him every day. I think the thing with him that's interesting to me is that price. Right? That's very low risk. If it's a one-year thing... It's not too much money. Remember, in 2016, they paid Mike Napoli $10 million. I think it was $7 million with $3 million in incentives that he all hit. And Napoli did not have the track record and was not coming off you know, still good seasons like Martinez has been. So that seems totally reasonable to me. But would you prefer him at that price or Jose Abreu at a two-year deal maybe a little bit higher than that? Mm. Well, if if money is no object, I would prefer Abreu. Okay. Knowing what the limitations are for this organization, I'm not making a two-year commitment to Abreu. I can't do it. Would you? Would you make a two-year commitment to him? It depends. I don't know. On what? Sherlock Holmes, get to the bottom On of this mystery. On what else you're doing. That That's... Is that going to remove any chance you have of being like, can you afford Brandon Woodruff if you're paying no. Abreu? Like, I don't know. Can they stretch the payroll to 110 or is it going to have to be 80? Like, I, I don't know. So my guess is probably somewhere in between there. It depends. Are you paying Ahmed Rosario nine and a half million? Or like, if you do that, does that mean you have to trade Rosario and you're playing Arias at shortstop? Like, I, everything has, there's a flip side of the coin to every single move. The second year would probably, yeah, I mean, I, but who else is going to play first base? You know, if you want Naylor DHing or if you want him not playing against lefties, who else do you have? Like, there's no right-handed stick coming. Like, maybe Noel? 
probably not this year. Like maybe, well, maybe like later in the year. But that's it. Everybody else is left-handed. Mm-hmm. Because of that, I would feel like it. You should be able to find somebody to occupy that spot, but they they haven't. <laughs> they, they don't. They don't have CJ Crone. Easy solution. Uh, Miguel Sano. Don't tell. I mean Tom that Hamilton. that's going to be your reaction to ninety percent of the names that I bring up that are first base. DH, right-handed stick. That's going to be your reaction. That's the reason why they're available, because nobody wants that. You need a very specific thing that you shouldn't have to pay a ton for unless it's someone that's more than just your left-handed version of Josh Naylor, which Abreu is. And if it's not my money, then yeah, give him a two-year commitment. But if it's going to severely hamstring you from future moves, then I just don't think you could give him a two-year commitment. I'm already a skeptical is probably too strong of a word, but I'm strongly interested in seeing what Abreu becomes this year. And I don't know what he's going to be two years from now. I'm already a little curious about this next year just because of the massive changes he went through as a hitter. Go sign Josh Bell. That just makes more sense. Josh Bell gets on base. He's like a version of Carlos Santana in that regard. Let all the other teams be scared off by what happened in San Diego. Just go get Josh Bell and pay him a three-year deal. That's There's no way that that's happening. Final one. We haven't mentioned this name before. I'll save mine. But give me a move that you could actually see taking place. That makes some sense. And, uh, too Likely is too strong, but could absolutely happen. <laughs> You're going to hate me because... I've just totally done this prompt, this exercise wrong. Because my my likely scenario was what you just talked about. What we just talked about. They're going to add a right-handed stick, probably in the first base, DH, maybe corner outfield mold, just to, to offset all the left-handedness. You know, one name we haven't mentioned is Christian Walker. I don't know exactly how available he'd be from Arizona. Crushed lefties last season, hit 36 home runs. Won the gold glove, right? Or was at least a finalist at first base. What, did he play, um, 29 games there? <laughs> That's all it takes this this time. Um, Yeah, I just I think it's just too obvious of a need. So, a right-handed stick... Probably the first base type, but again, like it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who you want to play 150 games because you don't want to clog up the DH spot. And we've talked about it, but there's a way to make it so that the Naylor brothers plus uh, Sean Murphy type plus a uh, Jordan Luplo, Ryan Rayburn type could share catcher first base DH, and there'd be plenty of opportunities for all of them. Uh, I haven't heard the name linked to Cleveland this offseason. There had been previous linkings, but nothing here recent. What about Trey Mancini? Yeah. I don't think he's going to cost a lot. You're probably not going to have to commit to him for very long. 
things didn't go tremendously well in Houston, so that sticks in people's minds and that reduces his cost a little bit. He's a great clubhouse dude. Uh, He's had one interaction with him and came away like blown away. Uh, Of course, has a tremendous backstory too and very inspirational player, but I think he would fit in really well amongst the clubhouse of a ton of younger players and would be a uh, an, an asset in that regard. Uh, Average-ish stick. Not really a clear platoon advantage one way or the other. In fact, he's gone like one... He's Crazy been like a pendulum. Even. It had a, yeah. a reverse split a couple of years ago that was off the charts, and then this past year was better. It, it, so he's a guy in his career that doesn't have a clear split advantage. But you could play him... Every day ish. I feel like that's somewhat yeah. likely. I think that's a good one. I, that that too is like okay. Here's where we'll spend a little bit of money. Because he, uh, yeah, you're right. I don't think he would cost very much. And then you pour your trade assets into your more sizable move catcher, starting pitcher. Third podcast host. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any, uh, like a move like that doesn't send anybody into a frenzy to go buy tickets. But he's a, he's a very solid, I kind of know what to expect sort of player. And when you have an organization that is so full of younger players, and not just younger players that haven't tasted the major leagues yet, but guys that we just saw briefly, we have talked many shows now about how you can't just because we saw Oscar Gonzalez have success doesn't mean that that's going to continue. You try to mitigate as much of those wild fluctuations that you see with younger players that don't have great track records with guys that you just know are average and average gets thrown around like it's such a bad thing. And if you're, if your entire team, like if your best player is average, yeah, that's not a great thing. But if your entire team is made up of at least average-ish players to go along with your good players, that's how good teams win. That's what the Dodgers have been doing for years. Mm-hmm. Just plugging in guys that are very solid to go along with the star-level talents that they have. So I, I, I don't think there would be... A, if you've exhausted all of your other options... And he's sitting there, and he's you could get him for a one-year, $8 million contract. I think that's very doable. Would you rather... Huh. I guess would you rather isn't fair. Mary. Because it depends. Mary. Mary. <laughs> Who would you kill? Um, I think... <laughs> see, this is what I'm talking about in all these like scenarios. One scenario could be, all right, we use that little bit of short-term money for Mancini and we trade for a catcher as opposed to trading for a pitcher and signing Vasquez or like, it's just because this team can't just wind up. All right, we'll spend on the first baseman and then we'll spend on the catcher and then we'll spend on the pitcher. And they don't want to trade prospects for the catcher, trade prospects for the pitcher, trade pro- like you have to do a little of both. That's why you have to sort of play your cards right. The timing has to be right. The trades, the trades have the trade talks have to go well because you can't hold out and hold out and hold out 
and then Mancini and Vasquez and any other free agent you might have wanted is gone. Right. That's that's the. It's not. People don't wait for you. No one right. just sits and says, "Well, I'm, I got to hold on here because I think there might be something in Cleveland." No, that's the danger of waiting. And even like with with Sean Murphy, if you think, oh, we'll, "We'll wait," I think this even made might have even happened this past year with with Murphy and potentially Vasquez. Maybe if they had a better sense in going into the deadline that Oakland's just not going to move off of their ask, would they have made a move for Vasquez? But because they were waiting until the last day, we really want Murphy. We would take Vasquez, but we really want Murphy, and so we're going to wait out Oakland. And while that's happening, what happens? Vasquez gets moved to Houston. And they would have taken him. They would have been very happy to have him, and it would have maybe been an upgrade over what they thought they had in, in the current catchers, and I would have agreed with them. But they couldn't pull the trigger on Vasquez not knowing what was going to happen with Murphy. And it, it could be a very similar thing, right? Just this offseason. This happens in our little fantasy HBD world, too. Hmm. I'm sure it happens in, to everybody in fantasy football. You know, the trade deadline's coming, and you, you're holding out because you want to rip off that one idiot in your league, and you're waiting for him to accept the trade, and he's hemming and hawing, and at the same time, your backup plan disappears, and then the idiot decides to trade the guy you wanted for pennies on the dollar to somebody else. And you sit there and you end up with nothing. And it's not how you drew it up. Same thing happens in real life. It's fantasy reality. It's all the same. If you're sitting there thinking, you know what? Our fantasy league's pretty good. We don't really have an idiot. I got some bad news for you. (laughs) Why am I always... I'm always just getting bombarded with all these trade offers. Why do people... Not talk to anybody else. Oh, I don't know. Why do you think that is? Hey, are you ready for this? And now it's time for the random Cleveland used to play here guy of the day. It's been months, it feels like, since we've done this, and I've got one for you. Well, it's an appropriate day to do it because the 2022 top 25 random jersey sightings list dropped this morning Ooh. and I don't want to I don't want to give it all away but coaches occupied the top two spots that's a first coaches uh manager can you huh yeah not in Cleveland not in Cleveland but eventual this man pitched for the Cleveland Indians in the 2014 2014- season he made three appearances for the then indians totaling two and two-thirds innings allowed eight hits six runs three home runs that kids is a 2025 era now you may be thinking why would i know who this is it's a name that you will know it's not a complete nobody no it's a name that you will know, but Mark Lowe, you know, because he's had a career, had a career. Mark Lowe, I know because more... Jordan Bastion never talked to him. And we joked. <laughs> Jordan Bastion introduced himself to every new player who came up, but for some reason he, he dissed Mark Lowe. And we always joked that Mark Lowe knew and he would not forget. <laughs> 
Ryan Webb? Not Ryan Webb. I think that was later. Why do I know this guy? This this guy was 27 years old when he made his Cleveland debut. And the three appearances, two and two-thirds innings, were the only major league appearances for this man. But I'm telling you, you will know the name once I tell it to you. And I have one huge clue that's going to give it, maybe give it away if you remember what Can the name is. Tell me how they acquired him. That's the huge clue that I don't want to give you. Mm-hmm. All right, so he was drafted by the Boston Red Sox in the first round, this is 45th overall, of the 2008 draft. Came from Rice University. His middle name is Cole. Hmm. I mean, 2014 was a weird year. Trying to think of the bullpen. Cody Allen. Brian Shaw. Mm. Scott Atchison. something in common with one of the names you just mentioned. Brian Price? Brian Price! I was going to say, when you... When you said he was drafted by Boston, that name came to mind, but I I have no recollection of him pitching for them in that season. I didn't think I covered him because that was the Masterson trade. Yeah. The Victor Martinez trade. Yes, oh, I was going to say, do you, do you remember when they acquired him? And yes, that was the answer. He came along with Nick Hagedon, Justin Masterson for Victor Martinez See, back I in 2009. He, I thought he pitched for them way earlier than 14. Hmm. Well, well, yeah. They acquired him in 2009. He didn't make an appearance in the big leagues until 2014. <laughs> yeah, that's why you think that. I thought, did he throw hard? I thought they liked his arm. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I'm sh- sure some injuries came into play. I mean, Hagedon threw upper 90s, punched walls, upper 90s. I'm trying to quickly go through some other uh, notable things here, but I'm getting not that Brian Price. No, he's not 60 years old now. Uh, that that not that former Brian Reds Price. manager. Not that Brian Price. All right, I have an apology, not to you. You don't deserve one, but to our listeners and people on our Discord who have been begging us to do some advanced stat breakdowns, and I keep promising we're going to do it on a show. I said yesterday we're going to try to get to it. I was hopeful that we would, but you know how we go. We just start rolling on topics, and we eventually end up elsewhere. We're going to at some point just do, even if it's 20, 30 minutes on the stats that we use and why we like them. It's not going to be too deep in the weeds, but just hopefully something to help you grasp why we talk about WRC Plus and FIP and Ward, outs above average, all those sorts of things. So that is coming in the future. We'll do it on a free episode, I promise you. But you can go ahead and yell at me. You had to know that was coming, right? That we were going to delay another week. You knew it was coming. Yeah, well, if you would stop salivating over Sean Murphy for 30 minutes a week, then we could get to this. Can you blame me? It depends. Can you blame me? (laughs) For Zach, it depends, Meisel, and me. We'll see you later this week over at patreon.com slash Godcast.